From the banks of the Cuyahoga River, it's Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland, featuring TV news reporter and author Paul Orlowski. And now, guilty as charged, Ted Klopp and Ken Dworsky. Coming off Easter weekend, as well as opening day for the Cleveland Indians, as we're in episode 49 of Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland. Ted, talk about opening days. Have you had the opportunity to go to opening days for the Cleveland Indians? In oh, yeah, I've, I've been to a for few. TAM or personally? I, I've been to a few. Uh, I don't think I was ever at any with the radio station, but I've been there as a fan. And it's usually a big deal, although, you know, we were, you and I were walking in downtown on Monday, was it, I think it was Monday morning, and yeah. that was opening day, and I thought we were going to get attacked by tumbleweeds. I was looking for John Wayne. I yeah. thought he was going to come out riding on a horse. It was well, just so strange. Well, you only, you only had 11,000 fans there on Monday, and from what I was told is, you know, they were trying to do everything they could. And once again, the Cleveland Indians did a great job with having social distancing and all that stuff, but most of the concession stands weren't open. And then they were asking fans if you could pay for things without using cash, they wanted yeah, you cash to be cashless. Yeah. And then to get into the stadium, you don't even use a hard ticket anymore. It's everything right. through the MLB mobile app. So yeah, things are changing by the minute, but I think the positive news for this whole thing and, Governor DeWine has come out and said some different things, but recently he says he hopes that when July 4th hits that we can have a full capacity at the stadium, which would be awesome. That would be great. I, I, I hope that happens. That'd be awesome. How was your Easter? I was very good. Well, you go through this now kids get older and you know, it's, it was one of the first times we went back to mass. So that was really great. And so my daughter got to, have first communion for the first time besides her first communion last year. So that was wonderful. And it was a very nice time, but uh, I don't think it was quite as busy as your Easter from what I kind of saw through social media. I, you guys had some kind of extravaganza when it oh, came to an Easter egg hunt, the Easter bunny. We got to have a conversation with the Easter bunny. This is not acceptable. The Easter bunny put, I hope you're sitting down 300 96 Easter eggs in our, on our property. <laughs> 396. Maybe that's why over here he's so lazy because he's I tired guess. from being over know. there. Holy cow. I, how many dozen kids does he think live in our house? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's crazy. 396 Dude. eggs. And that doesn't count the three baskets that he put in the house. Well, I, I guess the question I have, how many children were part of this Easter egg hunt? Three. Oh, <laughs> oh I didn't realize. I thought you had maybe other family. No, 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 no. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Each kid got two buckets and they, they ran out of room in the buckets. We had to give them bags. How long did this go for? I mean, I don't know. It's 10 over or 100 minutes. That was 200 eggs a kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I... Shot some video and they walked oh, outside and my middle son says, oh, wow, I'm getting loaded. And I said, yeah, and I'm going to go inside and do the same thing when this is over. So, yeah. oh, 
Oh my gosh, Ted, that is outstanding. It just, Ooh. I mean, God bless the Easter Bunny. I appreciate the the thought that goes into this, but 396 eggs, that's what I'm, that's my question. You're going to have to leave a note for future years. Dear yeah, Mr. Bunny, thank you for coming to our home. In the future, can you limit the amount of eggs? Yeah. Most gracefully, thank you. Yeah. Theodore Clark. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, 10, 20 per kid, maybe. That's a good amount. Yeah. I think we, I, if I'd have known that he was going to drop all those eggs off, I would have bought stock in every candy company I could find. <laughs> she Mally stock. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, well, I'm glad everybody had a good Easter weather was cooperative and that's always nice. So, so yeah, it was a good time. We went to mass and then, uh, went to a cousin's house and had some food outside. It was very nice. And the kids got nice. to run around. So that's good. What's also good is what we have it coming up on this show. Retired TV news reporter, Paul Orlowski. Orlo is here. The big O as he was Love referred it. to only one time in his entire career. We'll talk about that instance with him as well as other fun things that are detailed in his new book that he's written about some of the crazier things that he encountered over his years as a TV news reporter and my understanding and from reading some excerpts from the book, he's got some great stories. We have another baseball memory to talk about for this week in Cleveland history, because clearly we have to talk about memories considering the current team. But anyhow, <laughs> we will get in the ring with another pro wrestling event memory. Fox eight, Scott Sable dropping by to play another game of forecast roulette and in clops clips, we have an update on that penny story we had last week, plus an unfortunate situation involving facial recognition software. Ted, here's some good news. A patient with a genetic form of childhood blindness gained vision after receiving a single injection of an experimental RNA therapy into the eye. Mm. After a single injection of sepofarsin, more than a dozen measurements of visual function and retinal structure showed large improvements. Wow. The researchers saw vision improvement after one month, but the patient's vision reached a peak effect after month two. Most striking, the improvements remained when tested over 15 months after the first and only injection. Wow. Wow. That is awesome. Yeah. Being able to re restore someone's vision, that's... That's a big deal. That, there aren't many uh, gifts that you can give someone greater than that. No, that's that's about as good, as good as it gets when it comes to something like that. And it's amazing where we're coming with medicine. It seems like many different things are, are changing and for the better and many different things. But uh, wow, that's some great news is hopefully something like this could help a lot of other people. As well. Have you heard about Anchor? I'm not talking about the one for a boat. This is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many more. You can 
make money for your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Blah 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 blah. Our guest has been a disc jockey, a radio news reporter, a TV news reporter, a TV news investigative reporter. Is a multi-time Emmy Award winner and a Cleveland Press Club Journalist Hall of Famer. He's had a phony arrest warrant out for him. Now he can add author and recently retiree to that long resume. Let's talk with Paul Orlowski. Orlo, how you doing? How's retirement? Pretty easy to get used to, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> it's very easy to get used to. Yeah. All right. But, uh, well, the name of the book that you recently released is called Punched, Kicked, Spat On, and Sometimes Thanked. Memoirs of a Cleveland TV news reporter. Lots of good stuff in there. I've read uh, some different parts of it, but why at this point, why write your memoirs? Well, you know, in, you know me from around the newsroom. You know, I'm always sure. telling stories. And if something <laughs> happened out in the field, I'd always want to come back and tell everybody about it, right? Uh, usually with me as the star of the story. Well, yeah. um, so, but, um, you know, I just like, I like to tell stories. And over the past probably 15 years, people, you ought to write a book. You got a lot of, some people say you got a lot of BS. Other people say you got a lot of funny stories. Um, so uh, you know, I, I really didn't really didn't think about it uh, until about a month before I retired. Wow. I thought more about retiring because I wasn't sure I wanted to do it, but it, it was time. Yeah, I had more. I had a little more time left on my contract, and this, I negotiated with the station. They were kind enough to let me out a little, about actually not, uh, eleven months early. But oh. it was to, you know, it just hit me. It was time. So then I started really thinking about it. And since 1975, I've written a little synopsis of what I've done every day. Now, it, it's just like um, January 3rd, 1985, six o'clock plane crash, 11 o'clock plane crash follow, you know, that, that side of thing. So, so I thought that was going to be real helpful to me, uh, but it actually, I really didn't reference it that much except to get specific dates of when things happened. Um, you know, the funny stories, you know, I've been telling around the newsroom for, for <laughs> years. So I started with those and did an outline and wrote, wrote the book basically. And I sent it to the publisher who basically ripped it apart <laughs> and, and it, and it came out looking way better than it, than it really did in that first draft of mine. Uh, so it, um, but they did a great job. And then, then they have editors and such uh, a guy that's retired from the plane dealer and they, they fact check you. It's amazing how many mistakes I made. My memory wasn't always the, wasn't always the best apparently. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, and it, I don't know when, but that's how I really, I retired February 1st, went down in the basement until June 1st or middle of June. Uh, I was just kind of writing stories down five, five, <laughs> five, five, six hours a day. And, um, my wife always says, you know, you really like talking about yourself. So what was I doing? I was typing, I was talking about myself. <laughs> People will say, how'd you come up with all those stories? And she'll chime in. He loves talking about himself. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly you were a general assignment reporter, and obviously a lot of people that aren't in the industry maybe necessarily don't understand what that is. What is the difference between a general assigned reporter than being a news reporter? Well, maybe an general investigative reporter. 
Oh, sure. about 50 grand, about 50 grand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was a general assignment reporter and pretty much day to day, if some big news happens, out you go, or some the assignment desk has something, out you go. Years back, um, I was, I had a tip. I was a general assignment reporter that a lot of police officers were goofing off at Deaconess Hospital. And um, so I had it just on a piece of paper in my back pocket. So one night there was an accident on 480. We went down to check it out, uh, icy roads, but the accident was nothing. So we were coming back up uh, Pearl Road and we were going by Deaconess Hospital. So I said to the camera guys, hey, I got a tip about Deaconess Hospital. And so we looked, and there are a couple of police cars there. Well, that's not unusual for, you know, for their police cars to the emergency room. Um, but then I looked in the parking garage where I heard they were hiding cars. And there were supervisors, probably seven police cars in there. So we went back the next several nights and, uh, and recorded. And we didn't cheap shot anybody. Um, any stories that we did, guys were there for at least an hour and 10 minutes. 30 minutes is a typical lunch break. We saw an hour and then let's, all right, let's an hour and 10 minutes. Well, they were there four and five hours. So we did the story and they kind of liked, liked it at the station. Unbeknownst to me, the police, um, two of them, they, they, it was a bad joke, but they issued fake tickets on me. Uh, I never got the tickets because they, the copy that would go to me, they threw into the garbage, uh, but it went into the system. I don't show up for court, obviously, because I never got a ticket and an arrest warrant went out for me. And then after a certain amount of days, I don't remember if it's 180 days or whatever, and I never got pulled over. I was put on the NCIC crime computer nationwide as a fugitive from justice. And eventually, we, I found out about a city councilman tipped me off. But once that happened, it was on the front page of the Plain Dealer, all, you know, for like a month, Beacon Journal as well. I was an investigator reporter after that. They, you know, they, they push those types. They push those types of stories on me, and I joke about the salary. But my contract after the tickets were discovered, my contract was coming up, and I was at Channel Three at the time. The general manager called me upstairs and says, "All right, what do you want? How much you want?" So I told him, and he didn't give it. But uh, I got a pretty healthy raise. So if it was meant to hurt me, it, it actually helped me. Wow. And the other thing I think that it did is kind of put me on the map. I mean, Carl Monday and Tom Meyer were the, you know, the I team, the big guns in town. And that kind of people started thinking to me a little bit like that. And that's that kind of made the brand. And the station started promoting that. Um, they, it was funny. They, they had this promotion on the air and I'm running around with a flashlight with a camera guy looking around. And I, I told the promotion guy, I, said, I never do this. He said, oh, it's good, good, good. You know, and they're Paul Orlowski and his investigative team. Well, the team was was me and an answering machine. <laughs> and, uh, they never let the promotion department have a good story, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. These promotion guys have a vision, and they're not going to let your story get in the way of it. <laughs> That's right. Well, news channels. Some folks say the media they've come under fire, or the media's come under fire for this alleged bias on national stories. Have you ever seen anything like that on the local level at a local TV station? I don't think so. I mean, yeah. people look at us as being a lot more liberal than we really are. But I mean, you know, when we were doing uh, 19 Action News, that was, a, that was, you know, kind of from the top from Bill Applegate. We want to be aggressive. We're going to go after it. Um, don't say there's an odd smell in here. If it stinks in there, say it stinks. Mm -hmm. Talk to people the way they talk. And that's what we did. The real hard punch in the face, 19 Action News. But I mean, I think if people go to CNN, they're pretty aware of the fact that the how they're going to, how the story is going to be spun. Mm -hmm. And they go to Fox, it's, it's the other way around. You know, I hope mm -hmm. I was always right down the middle, but uh, some people may, may disagree, but I sure tried. Certainly, Paul, you've covered a ton of stories and could be a difficult question to answer. What is the biggest story you covered? The biggest story that I ever broke 
and, and it really gained international um, attention was the three girls, uh, Amanda, uh, Gina, and um, Michelle. I, I had just gotten home from work, sat down, my phone rang. It was a very good source. It says, hey, we just found those girls. I said, what do you mean? The, the, the girls. I said, oh, gee, Amanda, Amanda and Gina? He said, yeah, yeah. And he says, and a third girl too. So I said, another body? Because if I figured 10 yeah. years, they were dead. Uh, he said, no, alive. I said, I'll call you right back. <laughs> I got in the car, drove like a maniac down I-90 to uh, Seymour Avenue. I called the news director, Dan Salomon at the time. And Dan always trusted me. He, I said, Dan, get everything you got over over there. And he did. And by the time I got there, Tiffany Tucker was there. She was she was on the air and then I joined in. And it was, it was like a blur that evening. I mean, next thing you know, mm-hmm. I was on Anderson Cooper and on in the BBC in London. And <laughs> all, all kinds of stuff. Uh, but it, that was the biggest story by far. We talked about the biggest story that you covered, and I kind of figured that that would be what you would select. But 50 years in broadcasting, the most bizarre thing you ever witnessed or covered, what would that be? Probably, well, Anthony Sowell, that's hard to believe. The guy walks Yeah, that's true. I'm standing six feet from a guy that killed 11 people. You just, you, it's surreal. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's actually the most bizarre story in two different ways, and that's Frank Spizak. Okay. Um, number one, bizarre because, uh, well, actually, secondly, bizarre because I witnessed his execution from, um, oh gosh, uh, six feet away. And, uh, <laughs> but then also I covered the crime, which was, uh, he murdered a number of people at, uh, two near Cleveland state, one at West 117th, uh, and Brendan Sheehan's father, judge Sheehan's father was one of the victims uh, because he had thought that he witnessed one of the earlier crimes. Uh, so, uh, so the whole story about Frank Spizak was, he was a Nazi and he had the Nazi mustache, but he also was a cross-dresser known as Francine. And um, so I went to the house the day he was arrested and his wife came to the door. And so I had heard all this stuff from a pretty good police source that he was, you know, he played Nazi marches. And so I, it was just a weird interview. So I said, well, you know, we're hearing that he would have men over and you would have to sleep on the couch and he would stay in the bedroom with them. And she, yes. And I'm going, oh boy, this is a weird interview. And a, a couple of other odd things like that. But then at one point I said, um, is it true that he played Nazi marches on the uh, on the stereo? She goes, yes, but he liked all kinds of music. Um, <laughs> disco, polkas, and Nazi marches. <laughs> and she looks off into space. She kind of says, you know, he always said he's going to take me to polka varieties. <laughs> so oh this interview is bizarre. And then um, the executions are strange because, you know, they come walking in. And you realize this guy's going to be dead in like four minutes. Mm-hmm. And so um, came in, the team is boom, right on. They strap him down, very efficient. Uh, and then the warden asked if he wanted to make a statement. And he said, yes. So the warden had it in his breast pocket. He pulled it out, unfolded it. He puts it down in front of Spizak. Well, he starts reading it as Hitler. It was written in German. So he oh. starts with, you got, you got, and I'm sitting, oh my gosh, this is bizarre. But he's reading it for a couple of minutes, 10 seconds, 20 seconds. So he's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, uh, that's a little blurry. Can you move it up closer? Yeah, thanks. Okay. Yeah, a little more. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. This is, oh. this is, that is maybe the strangest situation. Uh, and it's funny because once he's done, the warden steps back and he buttons his jacket. And that's the signal 
to start the flow of the of the chemicals. Mm-hmm. I was told the previous one we used to straighten his glasses. So that, that on two fronts, probably Spizak might be the the most bizarre. Well, Orlo, there are a couple of spots I I read in in excerpts from the book that I think people need to make sure that they uh, take note of. Setting a sting for uh, sex for hire with a microphone on that has dead (laughs) batteries is definitely a highlight. And then (laughs) growing up, as Ken and I are both middle-aged guys, we both know who Dorothy Fultheim is or was. And hearing that you're the one who canceled her or, or, or killed her segment multiple times. Oh, <laughs> oh, what a sin. But uh, there's a lot, a lot of good nuggets in the book, and uh, we hope it's doing well for you. Can we get you to stick around uh, for uh, our uh, game time segment? Sure. Cleveland, this is for you. Ted, one of your favorite segments, yes. another this week in Cleveland history, April 8th, 1975. We haven't done this in a while. Yeah, I think Were I was you 20 at job. the time. I was. I Were was you 20? Job. Gotcha. Job. That's what I yeah. thought. Well, on this date in his debut as a player manager, which is just unbelievable for the Cleveland Indians, Frank Robinson. The Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. It's a home run at his very first at bat at the home opener at Municipal Stadium. Robinson is the first African American to become a manager for a baseball team in the major leagues. Wow. Amazing. And then I he goes the, up and hits a home run. I mean, yeah. You pencil yourself in the lineup <laughs> and you go up to bat. I mean, it's just to me, that's amazing because obviously now we don't see that very often. That was no. very commonplace in the seventies. And I believe the early eighties where you had player managers, if I'm not mistaken, I think Pete Rose did that for an extent. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other players as well, but to this day, I don't, I don't think that's anything that we we've ever seen here in the last 10 to 15 years. Oh no, I would agree with you. Player manager. Yeah, but absolutely. Frank, Frank Robinson. I mean, it's, you know, we talk about, you know, crossing the color barrier and things like that. I can only imagine what was going through his mind here we are in the seventies times were a little bit different than they are now. Mm-hmm. And he's stepping out and he is the manager of a baseball team and he's doing it for the first time of any other African-American who's ever done this in the, in major leagues. I mean, that, that had to be an unbelievable experience. And then let's throw on top of that. I hit a home run in the game. I mean, that's yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, you also have to play in the game. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, uh, there's a lot on his plate back in 1975, but obviously he did a nice job. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Well, just another little tidbit is once again, we always find some different tidbits that have something to do with Cleveland and history and things like that as we go through another great this week in Cleveland history. Cleveland! This is for you! Ken, it's time to get in the ring again. As we recount another great pro wrestling memory, last week we talked about WrestleMania 1, and on this date, April 7th, 1986, WrestleMania 2. And it was interesting, you know, they had all the success for WrestleMania 1, and when you come back a year later and you're going to do it again, you got to do it bigger. Yes. So what do they do? They had 
three events in three different cities, all on pay-per-view, one after the other. So if, if you're watching on, this was also the first one on pay-per-view as opposed to just closed circuit. But so they had, they had cards in New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles. And if you're watching on pay-per-view, you got them one after the other. If you're in one of those arenas, they would have television screens that would come out for the portions of the event that were in the other cities. And then when it was time for the live wrestling there, obviously the screens would go away and they'd have the live wrestling, but this was three events, three cities. And you got it. 1986. This is, you want to talk about pushing the boundaries of technology, three remote broadcasts on the same pay-per-view event. This was really pushing the envelope, but they pulled it off and another big event for them. You want to talk about some of the people who were, who were on the show there, Ken? Yeah. I mean, you had Ray Charles singing the national anthem. And then obviously since you're in three different cities, you had different celebrities at each location. So um, when you're in New York, you had uh, Daryl Dawkins and Joan Rivers and Joe Frazier. I mean, that's just unbelievable. In Chicago, you got Dick Buckus and Ed Jones. You had Ozzy Osbourne, the, the likes of Bill Fralick and Ernie Holmes, because they had a 20-man battle royal, yep. if I'm not mistaken, where they had, and this is just completely and totally genius, they had football players and wrestlers that yep. would come out during that event. I mean, it's just Unbelievable. You had William the Refrigerator, Perry, and, you know, a host of others. And then you go to Los Angeles, and then you got Ricky Schroeder and Tommy Lasorda and Elvira. Remember Elvira? <laughs> My gosh. Holy cow. That brings back a lot of memories. This but, just reminds me of that song, One of These Things is Not Like the Other. <laughs> but what an idea. I mean, say what you want about Vince McMahon. I mean, obviously, he's he's the one of the biggest people when it comes to wrestling. I mean, a lot of times people say he is wrestling, but to come up with that idea of having three different venues and then put it on a pay-per-view. So people who are not in those areas who can't go can see it completely and totally genius. Unbelievable. And the, the main event of the entire card was Hulk Hogan. You know, they had him in a tag match and the first WrestleMania. So they got to come up back with something bigger. So they come back with, Hulk Hogan in a steel cage against King Kong Bundy. Two huge dudes. Yep. <laughs> Great. I remember watching this because actually I do remember this was one of the first things I watched because at the time I was nine and I had the opportunity to watch it with my cousins and things like that in Brooklyn. And it was awesome. And I, you know, that match between Hogan and, and Bundy, I, I was just, un- it was unbelievable because King Kong Bundy, if you remember, he was bloodied. Oh, that yeah. was one of the first times I saw blood in wrestling. I'm like, holy yep. cow, this is crazy. Well, I remember Gorilla Monsoon had the call in California, and he had just some great little tidbits that he would throw in. And when he talked about King Kong Bundy, he would refer to him as a condominium with legs. Yeah. <laughs> and that was just tremendous. He had all these little things that he'd throw in, but yeah. The macho man was on this car. Everybody. I mean, you name it, everybody. And in New York, the main event was Mr. T and Rowdy Roddy Piper in a boxing oh, yeah. match with Joe Frazier 
coaching or seconding Rowdy Roddy Piper and uh, Lou Duva. Well, I'm sorry, Lou Duva seconded uh, uh, Roddy Piper. Joe yeah. Frazier seconded Mr. T. Yep. In Chicago, you had a tag team championship match that was the big deal along with that Battle Royal. And then in Los Angeles, Hulk Hogan's got a, <laughs> as they say, Hogan must pose. And yes. he was he was the, the main event. And that's WrestleMania 2. Three locations, lots of celebrities. They loaded it up and hit another one out of the park. No question about it, right, Ken? Oh, my gosh. Amazing. One last thing I'll bring up, the 20-man battle royal. You want to talk about a who's who in WWF at the time, now WWE wrestling. I'm going to read some of these names. and <laughs> These are people that you remember. The Killer Bees. Yeah. The Heart Foundation with Brett and Jim Neinhardt. Pedro Morales, Bruno San Martino, you know, Big John Stud, along with all these football players. Uh, I do remember. That's one of the highlights I remember as well as the Mr. T. Roddy you, Piper match. Do you remember who won the Battle Royal? Oh, my gosh. Boy, I do not. The only guy they couldn't get out of the ring, Andre the Giant. Well, that makes all the sense in the world. You put yep. Andre the Giant in there with those football players. And, you know, at that time, the business was kind of closed. It wasn't, you know, they weren't so open about, well, it's scripted. And so you get these football players in there. You think any of those football players are going to be able to get Andre the Giant over the no, top rope? Not a chance. Genius. No. Absolutely. Genius. Absolutely. Well, there it is. WrestleMania 2 as we get in the ring. Time for a game time segment with legendary Cleveland reporter Paul Orlowski. His guest is a man who needs no introduction and is the long lost brother of Oral Hershiser, Ted Klopp. <laughs> Today's game will be Cleveland, Ohio trivia. I will ask three questions to our contestants. Each contestant will need to give an answer based on the multiple choice options. Today's winner will receive a great prize a memory book of the 2020 and 2021 St. Patrick's Day parade in Cleveland. This book will <laughs> certainly be a collectible for years to come. I, I know this is something that you're trying to strive for, Ted. I know I, I'm going to put that right next to my 1996 Cleveland Browns team photo. Right there with it. Yep. Yeah. Right there with it. Yeah. All right. We'll start. Question number one. Cleveland was the first city to be lit by electricity. Charles Brush is credited with lighting public square. In what year did Charles Brush make this happen? Was it A, 1896, 1915, 1879 or 1850. Paul is our guest. You get to guess first. I'm going to I'm going to say uh, 96, 1896. Okay. I Theodore? am going to go with 18 was it 97 or 79 one or something 79. 79, 1879. We'll go with that. Okay. Well, Paul's going to think this is a complete setup, so the correct answer of choice <laughs> is 1879. So, Ted, where you get this from, I have no idea. Paul, you're still going to have a chance to win. Some of these other okay. questions. He's going to come out of retirement and do an investigative report on this uh, contest. <laughs> yep. Full setup on a podcast. Yeah, right. All right. Question number two. Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster created Superman while in high school on the east side of Cleveland. Their earliest Superman prototype was based on a short story called The Reign of the Superman. What year did this take place? Mm. Is that 1920, 1944, 1956, 
or 1933? Ted, you get to guess first this time on the year of when Superman first took place. 1933. Paul? Well, I was going to say 1933, but... um, You you guys can have the same answer if you like. All right, I say 1933 also. I think Ted's right. Well, that's a good way to go in both of you guys. That is correct. 1933. (laughs) That's Glenville High School, weren't they? That's correct. Yeah. That is correct. I get bonus points for that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Absolutely. As the guest, you get as many points as you like. That's how this works. All right, question number three. This is a little bit different, but I think you guys might have a chance of getting this. According to the Cleveland Economic Development Group, as of January 2021, who is the largest employer of Cleveland, Ohio? Is it the Cleveland Metropolitan School District, the Cleveland Clinic, Key Corp, or the U.S. Post Office? All you get to guess first on the third question. Cleveland Clinic. Cleveland Clinic. That's, that's, I'm... 99% 99% sure Paul is correct, but just to be different, I'll say CMSD, the school district. Well, Ted, you should have jumped on your first answer because yep. that is correct. At Cleveland yep. Clinic with 32,772 employees. That is just unbelievable. Paul, wow. congratulations. You're the winner today. Very well done. You know your Cleveland trivia for sure. I'm sure this award is going to go right next to those Emmys and that Hall of Fame uh, honor that you have. Uh, this will be right up there. We'll get this uh, over to you. You mentioned Oral Hershiser. One time I had the idea, some guy was uh, selling autograph photographs of the Indians at a, a baseball card shop. And I was told they were fakes. So I sent the cameraman and he bought a couple. I figured, well, get Oral Hershiser because he's a real nice guy. And get mm-hmm. Albert Bell because he's the, uh, was the hottest hitter in the league at that yeah. time. So I took, he did it. I called the Indians. They took me down to the locker room. I was, with, I think it might've been Bart Swain when he was just like an intern. So we go down into the locker room and Hershiser was right there. So I said, so I showed him the picture and, and I figured, oh good, this is, I got him. So I said, uh, hey Oral, is this, uh, you know, no, oh, that's not my signature. So I wanted to talk to him about it. He wouldn't talk to me. He said, no, <laughs> don't want to do it. I said, okay. So then I said to the, the, the PR guy, I said, uh, take me over to Bell. Says, oh boy. You're on your own. With him. He goes, you're on your own with him. <laughs> So honest to gosh, so I go over to Albert Bell and I say, Albert, this guy's selling these pictures and uh, that, that's not my autograph. And he went on and on and on. And he was, cause he knew the value that he was, you know, mm-hmm. that was devaluing. His, so he talked about it. He told me all about it. And I he interviewed him. I interviewed him on camera. I went back over to the PR guy and oh, Bell shook my hand. Wow. And, over to the PR guy, and he goes, I've never seen him shake anyone's hand before. <laughs> that's wow. That's so, incredible. And, See, I like talking about myself. Well, there you go. You know, it looks like the Cuyahoga. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, if people want to hear more about uh, the great Paul Orlowski, where can they find this book? Um, Amazon has it, uh, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble. I know they, uh, at a number of places, in fact, even in Youngstown, I believe, uh, where I worked before Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, what, oh, Drug Mart has it. Um, and so lots of places for sure. Well, Orlo, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck with the book and continue to enjoy retirement. Very easy. I was going to write, I was thinking about writing another book, but then I thought, you know, what are you going to call it? Stories that weren't good, good enough for the first book? <laughs> Ted Klopp here for Westminster AV. You've heard me talk about their top-notch rental services, but don't take my word for it. Here are some Google reviews. 
The Ohio Society of Association Executives says not only do they meet every need we have, they anticipate additional services and requests that we have had and are always prepared. The Westside Catholic Center says the elements they added to our event enhanced every aspect of the evening. Very easy to work with, incredibly knowledgeable, and made adjustments on the fly. Whether you are planning a virtual or an in-person event, Westminster AV should be your first call for dependable, professional, audiovisual equipment rentals. Call today, 216-325-6960. Again, the number, 216-325-6960. Forecast Roulette with the official, 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 the official meteorologist of two middle-aged men in Cleveland, Fox 8's Scott Sable. Playing roulette with weather forecasting is our next guest's duty, at least when he joins us. It's Fox 8's Scott Sable. And Scott, are you ready to leave your leave your forecasting targets up to a roulette wheel i am i am and i apologize for not being with you guys uh earlier i've been poop scooping the backyard for the last two months and since it's been since thanksgiving it's taken me a little while to get through it so and with the snow melting it's been a little been a little bit of a challenge so I've been uh, you know what do you understand phone, it were, yes would you like to spin the wheel yeah. scott here we go, go right, right ahead kind of like that guy on the price is right that those big military guys that come in and about spin it off its axis yeah. Here we go. Spinning the wheel. Okay. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, maybe we may need to have a second segment before that stops. All right. It's slowing down finally here. And, oh, this is this is kind of local. Uh, Canton, Ohio. Home of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. How about that? You guys you, been? Well, I've been to the Hall of Fame. It's been a, several years, but I've been there. How about you, Ken? Yeah, I was there actually most recently in January. A friend of the podcast who I went to school with actually did a broadcast from there on ESPN 690 out of Jacksonville and had the opportunity to walk around the Hall of Fame. And it was much different because there was no one there. It was kind of, it wasn't closed, but it was just during the day. I don't know about you guys, but when I walk into that Hall of Busts, that is eerie. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I don't know. I get this eerie feeling that I'm like, wow, this is really kind of almost angelic to be honest like, yeah, it's like really weird yeah. In here? yeah yeah it's interesting and they've added a lot of interactive exhibits they've updated it a fair amount over the years they've done a pretty good job of that well i know the owner of the norland saints has given tons of cash over there i mean we're talking millions upon millions they improved hmm. the stadium added seating there and the other thing is too when you go there it's just like they have another field. Like they just keep adding football fields. And they, I think right now, because they focus on youth football, there's like 12 football fields there. It's insane. Yeah. It's crazy. They're supposed to add like hotels and stuff too, aren't they? You're supposed to make I, it like a little village. I think the they're talking about trying to make it a retirement area for former players to some extent, oh. or at least part of it. But I don't know where that stands. We know we have the, the NFL draft coming up here in a few weeks. That'll be exciting to have that. Uh, up here in Cleveland, not down at the Hall of Fame, but I'm sure that the Hall of Fame will be involved in some way, shape, or form. I love, I love the rumor. It shows all the rings, Super Bowl one ring, and then all the way up till now. I mean, they just kind of just keep blowing up and getting bigger and bigger with all those diamonds and laden all of them. 
That's crazy. They're Ted's be got about five or six of those. He's oh, got yeah. a lot of those types of yeah. rings at home. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I wear them on uh, odd-numbered Wednesdays in uh, November. <clears throat> All right. Hey, Scott, can we get a forecast for Canton? Yes, absolutely. So, so Canton's been cold down there. I mean, they hit uh, Canton almost hit 60 last Sunday. And the way it's going, we're going to stay in the 30s and then slowly inch up into the 50s and could touch 60 by next Tuesday. A couple of snow showers tonight, but overall the forecast looks a little more spring-like over the next week. Well, that's good news for the folks in Canton, and right. we appreciate your time. Hey, anytime, guys. Forecast Roulette with the official, 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 the official meteorologist of two middle-aged men in Cleveland, Fox 8's. Scott Sable. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. Ken, here we go. Klops Clips. And we start with an interesting story about a date that occurred this past week. Nearly 700 couples lined up at the Clark County marriage bureau in vegas on saturday the line out the door because of that date which was 4 3 21 oh boy 4 3 2 1 the county clerk noted that specialty dates are very popular about 1800 marriages took place on 12 13 14 the most popular date lucky sevens 777 with almost 5000 marriages my gosh five thousand that's insane my brother-in-law got married on six seven eight. Oh my gosh and he always says that it's so he won't forget his wedding day that's a smart man right there yeah, all right no smart man a canadian woman tried some new technology on her phone and the results were not what she intended she took to TikTok to explain. This is a PSA for anybody who uses Google Photos or any photo app that has facial recognition. So Google Photos has this incredible thing where it recognizes people's faces. And if you type in their name, it'll pull up every picture and video with their face in it. And then you can make an album of that person and share it with your friends and family. So Google made me a delightful little album of my son and I shared it with my mom. So anytime I upload a picture of him, it will notify my mother. So a little while back, I decided I want to spice things up a little bit. My relationship and I made a rated R video where I was doing unspeakable ungodly things and Google Photos picked up a very small picture of my son in the background on my fridge and said hey that's a picture of Josh let's send this video to Kara's mom I'm so sorry mom oh come on <laughs> I guess you got to know your background huh that's technology is a, a great issue. thing isn't it Ken Oh my gosh! I, I'm not sure why that music. I don't know. I guess she put that music on there. That we were bebopping there, but uh, wow! You got the gist of what happened there. I think that was pretty yes. self-explanatory. Yes, I did. Oh my gosh! Yep. So, so if you're gonna make any videos with some ungodly, unspeakable activities, check the pictures on your fridge first. Yep, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. A mafia fugitive wanted on drug trafficking charges was on the run for seven years, but was recently caught thanks to his own YouTube channel. <laughs> Mark 
Farron Claude Biart was arrested at a tourist resort in the Dominican Republic. He and his wife started a YouTube channel on cooking. He reviewed food but never showed his face. So he's smart there. However, the body parts of him that were seen on the videos had distinct tattoos. <laughs> Investigators matched the tattoos and then captured him. Those who do bad things at some point in time do, do get caught. That does happen. So you're on you the try to outsmart everybody. You think you got this whole thing going, and people are too clever to figure things out. You're on the run. Hey, let's start a YouTube channel. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. Here's an update from a story we had last week. Can you remember that guy that got paid in 91,500 pennies? Well, yes. the company Coinstar picked up all the pennies, all $915 worth. Then they rounded the amount up and gave him a check for 1000 bucks and made two donations to charities of his choosing. Oh, that's really nice. How about that? That's cool. That's, that's yeah. really neat. They took a so, crazy thing I, and made it positive to help people. That's nice. I like that. Hats off to Coinstar. Pretty cool. They may have, I don't know if they sent a, a note back to his former employer or sent the note that the employer sent back to them, but, you know. Maybe, maybe they sent all the pennies back to the employer. That'd be tremendous. <laughs> well, an art piece by an American graffiti artist was on display in South Korea. The display included paint and brushes used to create the artwork. The same way other pieces by the artist known as John One have been displayed. Well, this time a couple viewing the artwork at the Lot World Mall, they thought the brushes and paint were for spectators' use. So they added to the graffiti. Come on, man. Staff noticed the green strokes and checked security cameras. The couple is now under investigation. The artwork valued at about 440 grand, scheduled to be on display till June, and now has additional guidelines displayed to prevent any more accidental painting. They messed it up for everybody. You know, you always have that one person, they screw up, and it screws it up for all. Leave I would have known. Alone. I would have known what that graffiti art was a picture of until they walked up and painted on it and ruined the whole thing. Oh, man. Here's a tip. That. If you don't want people to paint on something, don't put paint brushes in front of it. How about that? Just or a suggestion. Put some protective glass over it or something. Something. Yeah, I mean, I, come on. This really? is lunacy all around. Complete lunacy from everyone. Come on, South Korea. We're better than this. Oh, just leaves me shaking my head as so many of these things do. But we'll shake our heads some more as we close up this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. All right, Ken, we're wrapping up episode number 49. Oh, almost an entire year of two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Can you believe that, that this was That's about a year ago that we started this? I, I just, I mean, from where we started and what we decided to do, it's just kind of two gentlemen kind of screwing around to where we're at now or opens and closers and obviously all these different stories and some of the guests we've had, I never thought we could have. So it's been, 
it's been a blast. Yeah. We, it's been a blast. We got opens, we got closers, we got guests, and then we still screw around. Oh, <laughs> this is the, this is the favorite part of my week. To be gotta gotta play to our strengths, right? I know one of the things that never is going to happen. It doesn't happen a lot. I know during this time, I'm not going to get yelled at. Do you feel the same <laughs> way? No wonder you want the show to be longer and longer each week. No I, doubt. Can we yeah, have this for like right. three hours? Yeah. That's a little much. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we won't do that to you. Yeah. I, that's the same way with me. I just go hide somewhere. If I have, if to record at home, I yep. find yep. somewhere. To hide. I got to record. Did you yeah. do that this week already? No, I got to do it again. Ken's <laughs> making me interview another person. Ah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> don't give away our secrets i know i know yeah well next week on the show it's episode 50 and we have something special planned for episode number 50 it's so special we're gonna make it a surprise yes i think that's a wonderful thing that's what our our listeners that have listened to us from the beginning and if you picked it up in the middle I think you'll be very happy with what you hear. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Should be a lot of fun. And we'll have uh, obviously some of our other regular segments and whatnot, and we'll have some special things too, as well. So it'll be fun. Looking be forward blast. to it. Looking forward to it some be- weather too. If that would mind coming back. I know. Well, you know, we, we don't, we, I guess we got to do a better job. You know, we, we don't really grill our meteorologist, Mr. Scott Sable, you know, he's nice enough to spend his time with us, but maybe we need to get more aggressive with him. You know, it's like, <laughs> Hey Scott, how about some warmer weather? You know, why if do we not, have... then... Go ahead. If not, I mean, maybe you won't be on anymore. Maybe, you know, we'll put you in a timeout situation. You know, you go for a minute, then you got to sit out. I don't know. What do you think? Why do we have six inches of snow outside one day and then 70 degrees the next can somebody explain this to me i don't understand <laughs> that was ridiculous I, I i just look outside i mean once again still working from home and i look outside and i can't see the deck nor can i see any of the the driveway and then i heard about some accidents around town i said you got to be kidding me and then just a couple of days before that my kids had spring break so we had the opportunity one evening to play golf we played nine holes of golf out in North Olmstead. It was great. Did you and I think, hey, well, we could do this again. <laughs> no, we can't. Did, did you refer to it as winter break at any point? Uh, no, we didn't, but we kind of felt like that. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, we, we don't get as much mileage of it out of, out of it now as we used to, but when there used to be unexpected snowfall, we'd ask the kids, who put that snow out there? Go clean it up. <laughs> They're starting to get wise to your yeah, a little bit, Mr. Clark. That's it. That's it. All right, Ken. Well, until next week, let's close it out. Just a reminder, we're just two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Two middle-aged men in Cleveland is sponsored by Anchor.fm. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And by Westminster AV. Custom audio-visual packages for all occasions. Uh-huh.